I want to preach a message called there is a good fear. There is a good fear. Matter of fact, we've been hearing everywhere scriptures on fear. And these are timely scriptures during a time like this where there is a pandemic. This is an unprecedented time in our nation and in our world. Nobody, for the most part, has experienced this within their lifetime. And so here we are where fear is knocking on the door of every American. Fear is knocking on the door of maybe every human in the world right now. And so one of the scriptures that's been going around a lot that I want to preach from tonight in this message called There Is a Good Fear is 2 Timothy 1.7. Don't tune out. I know you've seen it on a lot of memes. I know you've seen it posted about or devotionals. But this is a powerful scripture during this time. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I'm going to read that again because it's encouraging me. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Um, you may be familiar with this, but a man by the name of Paul who wrote a good majority of the New Testament was writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. And Timothy was a leader that Paul had raised up. He was literally his spiritual son and Paul had raised him up and Paul was encouraging him. And many Bible scholars believe, and I agree that Paul at this time that he was writing this letter knew that he was near the end of his life and he was encouraging Timothy not to be afraid. It's important when we read the Bible that we do our best to understand the context of the scripture. Like if you know someone who knows the Bible a bit better than you, send them a text, ask them what's going on. Because without context of what Paul was talking about and who he was talking to, we can lose proper interpretation. Without proper context, we can lose proper interpretation. So we can take a verse like this and we can say, God's not giving us a spirit of fear. Don't be afraid of the coronavirus. And that might be encouraging. It might be helpful depending on what you're feeling, but it's definitely not the meaning of this passage. Here's an interesting thing. Paul was writing Timothy, not because there was a pandemic, but there was a lot going on. And he was telling Timothy not to be unafraid of what's going on, but not to be afraid of fulfilling his calling and his purpose and his role in the church. I got to say that again because it's so encouraging. He wasn't telling Timothy not to be afraid of a pandemic. He was telling Timothy, no matter what, don't be afraid of fulfilling your calling and your purpose and your role in the church. We know that Paul was talking about this specifically because if you look one verse earlier before verse seven and verse six, God tells Timothy, excuse me, Paul tells Timothy, don't forget to fan into a flame the gift that God has given you. And then he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's almost giving Timothy this picture of what prepares you to not give in to a spirit of fear is fanning the gift that God has put inside of you into a flame. Nobody under the sound of my voice with the fire of God burning on the inside of them will give in to fear. I'm just pausing on purpose because somebody needs to hear that. Nobody with the fire of God burning on the inside of them would give in to fear. So you really can't look at 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear without looking at verse 6 that says, fan into, the, into flames the gift that God has given you. And this was a spiritual gift, a gift that would build and strengthen other people. These are the gifts that God is using this time to fan in the fl into flames. The gifts that bring hope, the gifts that bring healing, the gifts that bring peace. What if you have the gift of intercessory accessory prayer, which is you can pray. What a time for you to rise up to fan that gift into flames. We need the prayers of people like you. What if you have the gift of generosity and you didn't lose your job? You're giving. Fan that gift into flame. We need that. God hasn't give us, given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Interestingly enough, Paul was trying to tell Timothy that he could still fulfill his role in the midst of a, of a circumstance. Back in the 90s, they used to say stuff like, know your role. And so many times we don't know our role in our family or maybe we're single we don't know our role in our community that we can start to be afraid and god was trying to inspire timothy through the writings of paul to say don't give in to that just because this is going on it doesn't mean you don't have a purpose it doesn't mean that you don't have a calling it doesn't mean that you don't have a role amongst god's people the church and i really believe that is what Paul was trying to encourage Timothy with, to not give in to fear. Now he said this interesting phrase that we can kind of throw around a lot in our Christianese language, that I don't get a spirit of fear. A spirit of fear, many Bible scholars think, was an attitude of fear. And so we gotta be careful that we don't tell people to not be afraid. That's not what Paul was saying either. He wasn't saying don't be afraid. He was saying don't stay afraid. Whew, that is encouraging. We can have mo moments of fear, y'all. I'm not going to lie. I coughed last night and I was ready to call the CDC. Every time a little tickle in my throat, I'm like, do I got something? I, I have these moments of fear. I'm human and so are you. So he's not saying don't be afraid. He's trying to tell Timothy, and I'm trying to tell you, you can be afraid, but don't stay afraid. Those who have moments of fear are not the same as those who live in fear. Paul was trying to tell Timothy, and I'm trying to tell you, you can have a moment of fear. I get it, but don't live in fear. And don't develop habits that move, move you from moments of fear to living in fear. Don't have habits where you, do you gotta click on every news article? And I, I know we wanna be informed, but don't let our information destroy our revelation of who God is during this time. Do not give in to a spirit of fear. This was the bad fear that Paul was talking about. Well, that's not the title of my message, that there is a bad fear. The title of my message is that there is a good fear. Not all fear is bad. I want to read to you a couple of passages of scripture that would suggest to you and I that there is a good fear. Psalm 25 verse 14 says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. Wait a minute. Friendship and fear can go together, maybe not with people or with humans, but with God they can. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Psalm 33 verse 18 says this, Behold, 
The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. So now there's a fear that brings friendship with God. And there's a fear that keeps God watching over me and over my family. Psalm 34 verse 9 says this, Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. Look at these three verses. There's a fear that brings friendship. There's a fear that brings protection, God watching. And then there's a fear that brings provision. My favorite might be this, Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What do you do when you don't know what to do? I don't know what to do, but this scripture would suggest that there is a fear that brings wisdom and there's a knowledge not of what to do, but of God. Look, look at this. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So the more I know about who Jesus is, the more insight I will have about what I'm going through. There's a fear that's a good fear. That's what the Bible tells us, that there's a fear that brings friendship. There's a fear that brings protection, God watching over us. There's a fear that brings provision and a fear that brings wisdom and insight. This type of fear I'm talking about is uh, goes throughout the Old Testament, actually. Uh, the fear of the Lord is a, is a large, big concept in the Jewish faith, and it's throughout the Old Testament, as I mentioned before. And one Bible scholar explained this definition, uh, translating from the Hebrew this way, that the fear of the Lord is a profound respect or reverence that lives on the border of fear. A profound respect or reverence that lives on the border of fear. The word picture of this is that it, you have so much awe and respect for God. It's like on this side is respect and awe and reverence, but on this side is fear. And you respect and you are in awe of God so much that you are living your life on the border between respect and fear. And one step over here, you're afraid. And one step over here, God is revered and respected. Too far over here is not grace, actually. I believe you have to live here to experience true grace. I remember one time when I was about 15 years old, I snuck out my father's car not my finest moment and my dad was out of town and my dad used to come home for lunch a lot when he was in town so i would never try anything stupid like this because my dad would come home a lot for lunch and he would clearly notice that the car was missing but this time my dad was out of town and my mom worked too far away to come home for lunch and so this was me and my brother's opportunity and we snuck out the car took the spare key and drove it to school. I know what you're thinking. How could I be a pastor? I, I don't know, whatever. I, uh, I've been redeemed. Anyway, so I drive the car to school Monday. Man, I remember I was first day I was listening to Roger Troutman. Zap. I was riding the car. Doom, 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 doom. It was a day. You know that song, Computer Love? Feel free to pause this, come back, listen to Computer Love, and then come back and listen to the rest of the message. I give you permission. This song is fire. So Monday, it was like that. Tuesday, just as awesome. Wednesday was incredible. 
Thursday, amazing. Friday, Friday, the last day I'm sneaking out the car. My aunt comes by the house to do a favor for my mother and notices that the car is missing. She thought that it was stolen. And so she calls my mom and my mom knew her boys. And she told my aunt that car is not stolen. Go to the school parking lot and see if you see that car. And the car was there. My mother, y'all, showed up to the school. This is a teenager's worst nightmare. Mom's showing up to the school and knocking on a classroom door. The door swings open, hall monitor swings the door open. My mother's out there and I say, oh no, I'm dead. I have never felt so afraid in my life. I was scared. And if you thought I was scared when my mom showed up to the classroom, when I got into the car, it got much worse because she said, wait until your father gets home. And I remember sitting in the back seat of the car, just, um, thanking God for the time that I had on this earth because I was convinced that my dad was going to kill me. And when I mean that I thought he was going to kill me, it wasn't like I thought my dad was going to kill me and I was like, didn't think that that was not okay. I was like, yeah, he's going to kill me. I snuck his car out. I deserve to die. Here we go. At worst, there's going to be some great bodily injury, but probably I'm going to die. And so I remember Saturday morning, my dad got home Saturday afternoon, I think, and Saturday morning I had what I thought was my last meal. My dad came home and I will never forget it was the exact opposite. He had the conversation from what I remember with tears in his eyes. He felt so dishonored and he felt so disrespected and he said that he was disappointed. And I remember being shocked at how gracious and loving my dad was. And I remember how much that meant to me in that moment, knowing how gracious and loving he was. But honestly, the only reason I was able to receive that grace and I was able to receive that love is because I genuinely thought I deserved the exact opposite reaction. I don't know if it's possible to receive God's love and grace. Unless deep down there's a part of us that understands we deserve judgment. When I was sitting there in my dad's disappointment and sitting there in that atmosphere, one of the things that was interesting from my memory is that I didn't feel like I needed to withdraw from my dad because I had this confidence that even though my dad was upset and that he was angry and that he was frustrated, that he was a good father. So I was able to receive his discipline as love. And when, at times when he got angry, I was able to understand that as well. I had a healthy fear of my father and that healthy fear led me to be able to accept oftentimes my dad's wisdom. This is why relationships can be so powerful and religion can be so dangerous because religion is that I have to prove to my dad that I'm good. I have to prove, I have to earn my dad's love. Relationship is I have my dad's love. So this is how I'm going to live. It's operating from the position and the affirmation that you are loved. Not that you need love. And the world needs love right now. And I believe the most powerful source of love, this is what I believe, is Jesus. You know, this fear of the Lord is a tough subject to talk about. But I believe it needs to be talked about 
where we need to not be so callous about the decisions we make, honestly, what would a nation look like on its knees, apologizing and repenting out of reverence for the Lord? You know what that nation would look like? It would look like a nation full of people who had friendship with the Lord. It would look like a nation who had full of people who were receiving provision from the Lord. It would look like a nation of people who had the wisdom of the Lord. It would look like that if we could just humble ourselves and say, God, we got it wrong. And I'm starting with me as a pastor. There's many ways I got it wrong. One of the ways I've got it wrong a lot is my preaching because I was so concerned that people wouldn't want to come to church. I was always trying to make people feel welcome. That sometimes I didn't think that they could handle certain sides of God. I felt like even as I was preparing this message, God was telling me, you know, I didn't hire you, Julian, to be a PR rep for me. I am not trying to get people to manage my reputation for me. I'm trying to get people to tell the truth that I love them, that I'm for them, but I also understand that my sons and daughters need to repent, need to apologize, need to admit when they've gotten it wrong. And in that, in that process where the fear of the Lord is there, there's friendship, there's, there's wisdom, and there's even provision. We just read those verses. I sometimes tell people that God is not mad at them. And that's true. God is not mad at you. If you're listening to this, God is not mad at you. That's not my heart for this message. God's not mad at you, but he does get mad like any father would. And his mercy is new every morning. That's the beauty of the God we serve is that when he's mad on Tuesday, he is merciful on Wednesday. And sometimes if I'm being honest, I can take advantage of that. I know that God is forgiving and I know that he's loving. And so even though his mercy's new every morning, I repeat the mistakes of yesterday. And I really believe that if we encounter the love and grace of God out of our fear of the Lord, remember that word, our reverence and our respect, that we can have a profound ability to transform to be more like the God that we serve, Jesus. I want to read this passage of scripture to you in closing, and it's going to encourage you. David wrote this song, and he was dedicating it to the temple. And here's the thing, that temple that David was dedicating this psalm to was a building. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that you and I are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So when I read this verse, I'm not dedicating it to a building. I'm dedicating it to you and I as believers in Jesus. Psalm 1 says this, Psalm 30 verse 1 says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. 
Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain, and then you turned away from me and I was shattered. I cried out to you, Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy, saying, what will you gain if I die, if I sink into the grave? Can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. I'm going to read that last line before I pray. That I might sing praises to you and not be silent. This past Sunday, I preached a message that one of the reasons why I believe that we're having churches home at home is, is because God is ending the silence at home. Your, his presence is going to be so tangible at your home. And I really believe that this verse that I'm speaking over our nation and over our church and over this world is that God is going to end his silence no more, you're gonna to have to go to church to hear from God. You're gonna hear from God right where you're at. And when God ends his silence in the home, when we can return and gather again, God's people will end their silence and give him praise.